1: Children of the eighties are back for another lunchtime movie review. I'm
2: Matt. I'm Greg. I'm Patrick. Jay. Matthew the intern. And this week What's up, Matthew the intern? Good to be here.
1: Yeah. Sorry I wasn't able wasn't here to help you pop your cherry, but yeah. good to have you here. Your your drink's looking a little light there, Matt. You need something?
3: I don't know what that means.
1: <laughs> Matthew will go get it for you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Actually little, he
3: won't. He's a very bad intern. Vodka
1: cranberry, please. And this week, we are bringing Arnold Schwarzenegger's Total Recall. But first, a word from our sponsor. On a spacecation, looking for some Martian strange, The Last Resort has everything you're looking for, and even some things you're not. At The Last Resort, our regulars can find the rare, sleazy, demure brunettes. Think a poor man's Radon Chong or Maria Conchita Alonso. First timers will have their choice of other ladies, including a chick with three tits. You ever feel like you're half the man you used to be? Come to The Last Resort and ask for Thumbelina, a little person who's big on love. The Last Resort. Mention Quato and get a 10-credit discount. All right. All right, who's got, uh, who's got Total Recall this week? The intern. We're putting him to work already. Yeah. I, think, I think he'll do all the summaries. He's going to be doing all summaries.
4: <laughs> the only I like wor- it. The only work we actually do on this show is write
2: something out ahead of time. All right. Give us Total Recall. Total Recall is a sci fi film about spies, true love, and following one's dreams of nearly dying a horrible death on the barren surface of a godforsaken planet run by crooks. Still better than Detroit. The movie begins with Douglas Quaid, a veritable everyman played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's just a regular blue collar guy, married to Sharon Stone, and made of 300 pounds of perfectly sculpted muscle with that central northwestern Iowa accent that drives the ladies wild. <laughs> Incidentally, Colin Farrell will be playing Arnold's character in the upcoming remake, as the producers wanted to keep the theme of unusually large male anatomy, but take it in a fresh direction for the new film. A gay news. <laughs> in the future, mankind has mastered space travel and colonized Mars. However, digital photography turns out to have been just a fad, since we see a nice Fuji film ad early on in the movie. Quaid is obsessed with Mars. He's haunted by nightmares where he takes a mystery woman on a romantic hike of the red planet's barren surface and falls down a cliff only to suffocate and explode in the vacuum. Still beats my prom. Quade decides there must be more to life than working a jackhammer and schtupping Sharon Stone. So he concludes that moving to Mars is the thing to do, even while a separatist group of mutants wages open war on the corrupt Martian government. For some mysterious reason, Quade's wife is opposed to the move and suggests that it might interfere with her overpowering and maniacal libido. Quaid comes up with a perfect solution. He visits Recall, a company that takes your money in exchange for planting phony memories of great times in your head. In the present, we call this college. But in the future, it costs a lot less and doesn't take so damn long. Quaid goes to Recall and picks the Mars package with some sassy athletic brunette on the side. But their attempt to implant the memories leads to disaster, as Quade flips out and becomes another schizoid ambulism, which apparently is Latin for refund. For some reason, this displeases Quaid. And recall does the right thing; they sedate him, erase his memory, and dump him in the back of a cab, or as they call it at Arizona State Thursday. All hell breaks loose, and everybody- We are a, we are a national podcast. <laughs> this is not
1: just targeting you know our ten Arizona listeners.
2: No, he's a former
1: Sun Devil. He can make those comments.
2: <laughs> okay, fine. We'll change it to the University of Miami. No, I'm I'm aware of their status as national laughing stock. So I, I I think it'll work coast to coast.
3: <laughs> Fair
1: enough.
2: All hell breaks loose, and everyone that Quade knows decides to kill him. Even his wife manages to pull her legs out of the air for just long enough to try to <laughs> shoot him and tell her boss that Quaid has gone rogue. But when he bests her too, she tells him that he's had his memories erased, that she's a sham wife, and that all of this is so secret that she must relate every last detail to him. <laughs> the villain, Richter, played by Starship Troopers Lieutenant, Lieutenant Razik, shows up to kill Quaid and hook back up with Sharon Stone. Quaid escapes Richter with a little help from an old mysterious friend with impeccable timing, and with a little help from himself from the past. Quaid learns from a recording he made before his memory was erased that his real name is Hauser. His past self tells Quaid there's only one thing he can do to fix all this. Get to Mars. And exact revenge on Ronnie Cox, the evil Martian dictator, behind the whole dastardly plot to make him bang Sharon Stone. Things aren't much better on Mars. Violence and repression are everywhere and Quaid must infiltrate the small but plucky army of mutants resisting occupation, the future's version of the IRA. Quaid's past self leaves him one very important instruction, to go find a two-boobed hooker named Melina at a brothel called The Last Resort. Melina tells Quaid that he was part of the resistance back in the days when he was Hauser, and that she would rather not do business with him anymore, and sends him packing. At his hotel room, Quaid is confronted by a mysterious man that tells him he's trapped in a bad trip at Recall and that he needs to be guided out of it with expert help. Quaid's wife, Lori, enters the dream to try to persuade Quaid it's all just a bad dream. Quaid responds in his typical idiosyncratic way with the help of Melina, by shooting every last person in his path, including his wife, on his way back to the little best whorehouse on Mars, where the mysterious leader of the rebel group, Quato, awaits him. The mutant rebels take Quaid, Melina, and their cabbie, Benny, to Quato, and in the process, a tiny but mighty hooker named Thumbelina starts a riot, (laughs) which leads to Ronnie Cox ordering all oxygen withdrawn from the mutant district. As the mutants slowly suffocate, Quaid meets Quato, a talking psychic beer gut and leader of the terrorist army. (laughs) Quato looks into Quaid's mind and sees that Quaid knows of an ancient alien device that stores air and can create a breathable atmosphere for humans. Cox's men, however, interrupt Quade's psychotherapy and storm the rebel stronghold, having been tipped off by Benny the Cabby. Cox's men kill Quado and gather to celebrate over champagne and cornflakes. Seriously, cornflakes. <laughs> no, that's, that's great. In between bouts it's of funny, because it's true. <laughs> In between bouts of gloating and evil mirth, Cox tells Quade the truth about himself. It turns out Quade was not being hunted for his knowledge of the alien air machine. Quaid had his memory erased in order to get close to the Resistance and expose and kill Quado. Apparently, porking one of the Resistance's key call girls was not close enough. So they erased Hauser's memory, planned some stuff about the alien air machine in his brain, and inserted him on Earth as Quaid so he could one day wake up, head off to Mars, pick back up where he left off with Molina, and get deeper into the Resistance. Because you know, they'll trust him more the second time since he claims he's gone insane and developed an alternate personality. I guess I never thought about checking for a secret passageway in the whorehouse. Now that Quado has been eliminated, Hauser wants his body back from Quaid so he can attend the Cornflakes party with Cox and Molina. This displeases Quaid, and an orgy of violence ensues as Quade escapes and fights his way to the alien air machine, leaving a mass of gore and quips in his wake. Quade fights his way to the air machine, but Cox awaits him and accidentally breaks the eighth-inch glass barrier separating them from the harsh Martian wilderness. As the air leaves the room, Quaid manages to turn on the air machine before he and Molina are sucked outside and choke in the sand. The air machine works, saving their lives along with the suffocating mutants. In the end, Quaid and Molina ascend to a hill to watch the blue sky emerge over Mars. Quaid is unsure though. Was it all a dream and planet from recall? Will he really get to spend his days as a bouncer in a filthy mutant brothel as various factions fight to fill the power vacuum left by the death of Cox? Or will he be disappointed and wake up safe next to Sharon Stone, the woman he just fantasized about shooting, for more midnight therapy sex on Earth? The viewer is left to decide. That sounded fantastic. (laughs) I'll listen to
1: Matthew, the intern, read that summary over uh, watching this film ever again. All right, when did did Total Recall come out? Total Recall was released on June
4: 1st of 1990, Uh, released the same day as Frankenhooker. Frank character. <laughs> A character that probably would have fit in right at the last resort. Real well. Uh, it was also the same month as Another 48 Hours, yeah. The Adventures of Milo and Otis, Dick Tracy, Gremlins 2, The New Batch, Robocop 2, Ghost Dad, and Days of Thunder. It grossed over $119 million, the seventh highest grossing film of 1990, and at that time, the highest grossing film of Arnold Schwarzenegger's career. It finished behind Pretty Woman, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and The Hunt for Red October, and right in front of Die Hard 2, Dick Tracy, and Kindergarten Cop. It was nominated for two Academy Awards, losing both for Best Sound and Best Sound Effects
1: Editing. Wow. <laughs> Academy Award nominee. Yeah. yeah. Total Recall. Best Sound. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: Oh, we need an effect for Arnold when he gets kicked in the balls. <laughs>
2: Screw you! Huh. Give those
4: people
1: some hell.
3: <laughs> we need to get the balls. Uh, that's funny. And
1: that was Total Recall. <laughs> that's it, man. We need no clips.
3: <laughs> so, uh, June of 1990, what else was going on? Uh, June 1990, what was going on in the world? Dr. Jack Kevorkian assisted an Oregon woman to commit suicide, uh, sparking a big national debate on the, quote, right to die. Nolan Ryan pitched his sixth no-hitter, beating the Oakland Athletics. Uh, East and West Germany began to integrate and uh, by merging their economies. (laughs) Now, Nolan Ryan actually
4: pitched a no-hitter, okay? <laughs> Not a one-hitter like you reported the other on the Batman?
1: <laughs> yes. Wait a minute. He brought up a, a some pitcher pitched a one-hitter. and a,
4: Nolan Ryan pitched his second one-hitter. <laughs> one-hitter.
1: I, I can... You know, <laughs> there are some events when you know where you were when they happen, and that was one of them, his second no-hitter. Second one-hitter. one One-hitter. One hit, one <laughs> so I had remember I seven,
3: was.
4: Seven no-hitters, but the... The second one hitter—that's the one that really counts.
3: <laughs> it was a slow loss. Anyway, the uh, number—the number one songs for uh, June 1990: "Vogue" by Madonna, "Hold On" by Wilson Phillips, "It Must Have Been Love" by Roxette, and "Step by Step" by New Kids on the Block. No. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, "Is this gay news?" Oh my gosh. Is right, right <laughs> that is horrible.
1: June 1990. Oh, they were just waiting for some grunge, man. <laughs> No gay news? That was the gay news. New new Kids on the Block was the gay news. (laughs) All right. Well, Total Recall. Let's talk about Arnold in Total Recall. I mean, this to me is as quintessentially Arnold as you get. I mean, he's in his heyday at this point, right? Box off his gold. I mean, kindergarten cop. (laughs) <laughs> was also in the top ten. And that was the very next one he
3: did. Not yeah. a tumor.
4: Yeah, Wow. I mean, it's technically a big year for him because he's at, he does have two top ten films. This, at the time, is the highest grossing film he has until T2 comes out a couple of years later. He's he's on an uphill swing. All his films are progressively getting higher uh, box office revenue. He'd done Twins a couple of years before, so now he's diversified and he can do comedy and he's terrible action. Bona fide actor, yeah, some
2: great range. Yeah. <laughs> <Some> great
1: range. <laughs> so and as far as the action films though that he'd done before that, what are some of the some of the ones that that he'd, we'd be we'd recognize? Well, the highest grossing one prior to this was Predator, which
4: made sixty million, about half as much as this did. Um, which was more of an ensemble piece? Yeah, it was. I mean, although the ensemble died, but sure. <laughs> so. uh, Conan the Barbarian, which made forty million dollars, and Running Man, which made thirty-eight million dollars. Uh,
0: right. uh, you got you can't mention Conan the Barbarian without mentioning the 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 Supreme Red Sonia? sequel Red Sonja <laughs> and and Conan the Destroyer. Oh my goodness! That, not that, now near, that is
1: quintessential yeah, Arnold, yeah, right there. But not that's near,
0: Arnold showing off.
1: Yeah, not his nearly successful. Just in the bar. Pick. Rod deals before this. True. Rod deals before this. Commando, uh, obviously, because that's early. Commando,
4: Terminator, um, all those films were before this. So kind of like,
1: lead, yeah. but leading up to this year with with Total Recall and Kindergarten Cop just becoming huge for him. He's pulling yeah. in tons of money at this point.
4: Yeah, and and then he solidifies it with T two, I think, which was 1992, two years later, and that's i think that's the highest grossing film of that year so then he's then he's arnold from that point forward
1: and i say i guess quintessentially arnold cuz he always has kind of the quips right he's known for the quips and this has just like, riddled <laughs> oh, yeah. with them i mean it's that's all
2: he's which got which probably with started
0: with conan or maybe even with pumping iron well com- or hercules goes to new york starts with commando right oh, i mean no. right no
4: i think it's pumping iron I, i'm coming yeah, I, in the gym i'm right. coming at home i'm coming all the time and then and then the, <laughs> yeah and, and again, again the, the pump is like coming
1: <laughs> but this is just this is pretty much all he does throughout the film is different little one-liners it seems like but he's got his comedy chops in with twins so of course he's going to kind of show that that off
4: no, I've got a funny line here. When I put the drill into him, I'm going to say, screw you. Yeah. <laughs> no. I mean, in hindsight now, it's, it's really, really bad. Cheese. Well bad cheese. So Yeah. And Sharon Stone, what did she do before this? Uh, she had done <laughs> Police Academy 4. Who hadn't oh, she done?
1: <laughs> she went to Police sh-
4: Academy 4. Police Academy 4, Citizens on Patrol, Action Jackson, and Above the Law, all supporting roles.
1: Uh, Steven, wow, so this Steven. is a breakthrough role for her. Yeah, yes. Steven yeah. Seagal's uh, "Above the Law" before right. "Hard to Kill," which is the only Steven Seagal worth watching. I submit. But oh, wow! So she had done nothing. Uh, but then after this, uh, how how long after this is "Basic Instinct"? Uh, it's I think it's two years after this. I think it's the same year t- uh, T2 comes out. Okay. But t- talking about Basic Instinct, uh, let's talk about the director of this film. Who directed this?
4: Paul Verhoeven. So he, uh, Verhoeven. Verhoeven um, he had directed the, a couple of foreign films: The Fourth Man, Flesh and Blood. Came to America with uh, RoboCop, which has got a very kind of. It sounds like
0: he sounds like he's from Iowa too.
4: Yeah, he is a very strong Iowa accent. So
0: drives uh, the ladies crazy.
4: <laughs> <does>. <laughs> uh, but he's he's got kind of a very similar. To, Total Recall is very similar to his other science fiction films Robocop and eventually Starship Troopers where it's over the top kind of cheesy you have these fake commercials you've seen how the Mm -hmm. technology has changed but still similar and um, he he also directs Basic Instinct it's in fact Sharon Stone that you know the way she plays this role supposedly it caused him to think of casting her in this role in Basic Instinct so
1: and then he also does the classic Showgirls oh yeah I forgot about Showgirls (laughs) If it's got a uh, Saved by the Bell character in, a, I'll give it a give it a shot. Well, okay. If it's got a lot of TNA, I'm um. I'm gonna say yeah. by shot you mean rub one out, right? Well,
0: Sharon Stone's a handsome woman. In, yeah, no absolutely. No, she's absolutely in her heyday. I I
1: think no, of no, Sharon she's Sto- beautiful
4: in this. Yeah, yeah absolutely. she's gorgeous
0: in this. I w- and I was kind of taken back by even this. with the hair, right. even with the you know 80s early 90s hair.
1: Yeah, Wor- horrible actress.
2: She, I mean, she can't off.
1: Can't f-ing act to save her life. Yeah, that but. hasn't changed in
2: 20 years. <laughs> I, I thought those kicks in the balls were Oscar. I have to disagree on that one. I don't know.
3: That was her move. She did that a couple different yeah. times. And what was up with Arnold's character? Because he was going for the uh, the brunette over Sharon Stone. It's like, what are you thinking, dude? No, I agree. I would have taken Sharon Stone
4: in this film over Rachel Ticketon or yeah. whatever.
2: Wait, wait, even by 80s standards, was she. Rachel Ticketon? Yeah, was she considered hot in the 80s? Because we all know things change. Uh, but, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, that's hard, that's a good, that's a good question. 80s
4: Eighties hot? Um, I don't consider her 80s hot, no, I wouldn't, seeing this film, I don't think, I wasn't that attracted to her then, I, you know, I remember who she is, I don't think she's aged well. But did she do anything else? She was in Con Air, she plays one of the prison guards, the okay. one that uh, Nicholas Almost Gates. gets raped yeah. or whatever? Yeah, so she's in that, and she did a couple other things, but she's always a supporting actress, huh.
1: so. Well, it, it. Arnold does have these interesting, I guess, leading ladies or the, the the ones he plays opposites to. I just think of running man with Maria Conchito Alonso with on Chong from Commando. It's just you know. Very... And then this one,
4: and then there's the the Hispanic woman in Predator. He's got a theme there. I don't know if that's really what it
1: is. He yeah, likes the dark meat, I guess. No, but they, but they're all kind of blob. Suddenly that little housemaid sort to make sense. <laughs> And, and she kind of fits into that, but yeah, I, I yeah, I don't, I don't even find her '80s hot.
3: Man. Hello, Hauser.
2: Still bulging, I see. What mm. you been feeding this thing, Blondes. I
3: think it's still hungry.
1: But the, so the director does these over-the-top, cheesy science fiction movies. At least that's what he's known for. And it's interesting; he kind of uses these these same actors that are that are in this. You have the. Cox character, which I, I can't think of the actor's name, but CoHagan, but he's our oh, Ronnie Cox is the actor. Oh, that Co- is the actor. Yeah, yeah,
4: CoHagan is the character.
1: Right, right. CoHagan, um, he plays basically the same character as the as the boss in RoboCop. He delivers it in the line. he's got the, the 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 Jack Bauer scream going on just out of nowhere. I mean, he's it's the same guy. It feels like it's he just he's just kind of wearing two hats in this.
4: Well, and he he had approached Kurtwood Smith, the guy who played uh, I can't even remember the 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 character's name in RoboCop, the actual street gangster guy, bad guy in RoboCop. Approached him to play the Michael the, Ironside, the that seven that 70, seventy show dad? dad, Red yeah. Foreman. There you go. Yeah. Red, uh, they they had approached him to play the Michael Ironside uh, huh. character Richter, and he passed on it. Says that it's basically the same character from RoboCop. I'm working for the same guy, and I'm just basically the enforcer. That would so. be weird. I don't want to get typecast, so I'm going to pass on that. Thank you. Jackass. <laughs> but, but I thought Michael Ironside was very good in it. I liked, I yeah. used to like him when he was on V, when he played Ham Tyler, and that when I saw him in this film, I was like, oh, I'm glad he's getting some work. Basically playing the heavy still, but, you know, it's... Yeah. It,
1: and the other thing I thought was interesting about this is the source material for the, uh, for the script or for the, for the story. Philip
2: K.
0: Dick, not to be confused with Philip J. Dick, I guess, (laughs) or Philip A. Dick.
1: Yeah.
4: Uh, The writer who wrote Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, which is what Blade Runner is based off of, uh, which is uh, the Adjustment Bureau with uh, Matt Damon that came out last year. That's based on one of his short stories. He has these very convoluted, science fiction-based stories. I've never read the short story that this is based on, which is uh, We Can Remember It For You Wholesale. It's uh, interesting that it's a Schwarzenegger vehicle because originally at one point it was going to be a Richard Dreyfus vehicle, and then at one point it was Patrick Swayze, and the guy was an accountant, and then Arnold got involved with it and changed it. It became more of an action film more than probably a cerebral um, thriller like something along Blade Runner's lines.
1: Yeah, although it, it does have kind of the same elements as as Blade Runner, just the the, the different twists and turns and depths that they try to. Uh, kind of flesh out i mean it's this thing's constantly moving and i think blade runner does that as as well although uh, it is certainly more cerebral blade runner is at least not this one he's not very pro-military industrial complex it
0: seems like verhoeven no philip k dick oh no he's not dangers of technology
1: in the wrong hands that sort of thing right that's obviously why we got fuji film back
3: (laughs) (laughs) okay so so let's
1: talk about this film visually
3: Visually, you know, I think this film still looks pretty good uh, despite the uh, the march of time. Um, the scenes, Whoa. On it, I do. Um, the scenes on Mars, you actually look like it's uh, still on Mars. It, it's not so dated that it kind of takes you out of the story.
4: It looks like a miniature version of Mars. That's yeah. what. It is. Kind of like Thumbelina's miniature version of a woman.
3: Which, actually, not to get off topic, does this make this a fantasy movie since it's a it's small person? A, it's this got a dwarf. Fantasy. It's a fantasy That's film.
4: By, <laughs> by our definition, it is a fantasy film.
0: There's
3: a little person in it, therefore fantasy. <laughs> For that reference, go back to Field of Dreams. Um, obviously, it's not, not uh, a fantasy film. Not a, <laughs> <laughs> and every other podcast after, I think. Obviously, it's it's not nearly as good as what recently just come out, uh, Prometheus. It's not as pretty looking, but um, I still think, to me, the the scenes still look good. And then there's a, um, there's some CGI that actually looks fairly good. Uh, the TSA like body scanners, when you see the skeletons, mm-hmm. it it looks like something we would see nowadays uh, still. So I think visually, it still holds up fairly decently for, despite the fact it's almost what twenty two years old.
1: Yeah. I'll give you the CGI stuff. I, I do think the body scanner stuff's great. I hate the scenery. I mean, I hate the back, the backdrops, the the backgrounds, the the even the um, cars and the vehicles and the different things. I just hate the entire backdrop of the film. It just seems very, very I, just real dated and real
3: just. Ah, I just I can't stand it. Well, getting back to uh, you were mentioned Fujifilm. Uh, obviously, in the city scenes, there's a lot of neon lights and whatnot. That's kind of Blade Runner-esque with all uh, bright lights. Um, kind of warning about corporate ta- uh, corporate takeovers and whatnot. And then you got the plastic everything, like the Johnny Cab. It's very plastic. Mm-hmm. That's that's more dystopian future um, that I think that this movie is trying to portray. That this is not a good future. You know, watch out for. Uh, corporate takeovers well the
4: cityscapes were actually real it was filmed in mexico city that's the fuji film and the coca-cola sign were actually just there and they just left it there they didn't they wanted they they shot on that area because of all the neon because of all the lights and And because there's no way fuji films going anyway (laughs) that's you can bank on that invest in that for the future so um so that was real i i kind of agree with matt once it gets to mars uh, I, th- I thought that they had such a different setting for everything that it becomes l- somewhat distracting. I think that the Mars sets are t- obviously miniatures, and this was one of the last live-action films to do a lot of miniatures and not just do CGI. It was also one of the few first films to do CGI. Uh, it, it doesn't take me out of it. I think it looks pretty good for what it is. It looks a little dated to me. So. And, and
1: especially the clothes as well. It, it feels like they've just put 80s clothes or, or early 90s clothes, you know, 90210-type uh, clothing with on everybody. Everything comes back, Matt. Everything. <laughs> this is just the cycle. Right. No, it's
3: the cycle. I, I, you go back and watch Star Trek The Next that. Generation that came out around this time period, and, like, wow, everything's very 80s, early 90s in the 24th century. So, yeah.
2: yeah. I, I thought even the sets the The Mars sets they didn't sell it very well. I understand why it would feel claustrophobic, but um, it w- it was so small that it almost didn't, it failed to sell a story. Like so, there there's a, a a rebel army hiding in this cardboard box, you know, which is kind of what it felt like, <laughs> you know, like y- your world is this small and you can't look for a secret passageway in the whorehouse that leads straight to Quato. I mean, it, it it the sets were were it was nice to see. Um, Somebody shooting on the set still, but it, at the same time, it didn't. It didn't sell. It is very
1: anachronistic. You have the big bulky monitors at times, or the the phones that are have the big screens, <laughs> and the keyboards are, are real weird. And it's, it's hard to, I guess, to to really. For to be able to kind the of the telephones of are out, still you know? rotary. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> they've got he's got a corded he's got a cord blender or a cord uh, mixer or something mm-hmm. like that, which is kind of funny.
3: But entire giant uh, wall of nothing but a flat screen television.
1: Yeah, which which yeah. they do well. I always am impressed when they uh, when they use the flat screen and they or they have something kind of pop up without a screen
3: because you see, okay, that might be coming, you know. Yeah. But, again, it's 22 years old, and you're trying to sure. predict the future. So.
1: Now, what about 80s or early 90s action movies generally? How does this this fit
3: into to that genre? It does. <laughs> it is one of them. <laughs> I think it fits in well because you get a lot of the quips. Um, uh, the movie that comes really to mind that's, that kind of fits the bill is uh, Last Boy Scout, and in every movie or every scene almost has, like, a little quip, and they even kind of joke about it towards the end of that movie. So, I mean, it's the action's over the top. Um, not very realistic and you get the uh, great one liners so
0: well and and it's a very violent movie I mean even by our standards lots of killing a lot of killing a lot of gore and and with almost all Verhoeven films it was originally I mean it's not like G.I. Joe violence you know I mean we we see it up close and personal and bloody Do we get a PSA after the movie? (laughs) yeah and now we know but I get maybe that's part of it. Oh well, after seeing Carnage, we'll have Arnold say a funny line. So it's okay. Yeah. Well, they got it like a cartoon. An R or excuse me, an X or an NC-17. I
4: think NC-17 was in effect when this came out. Its initial initial rating was that. Really? Yeah. It's same as RoboCop. Same as Basic Instinct. Same as uh, Starship Troopers. They all have gotten NC-17s or X ratings huh. originally for their violence. And then he has to go back and recut it with different scenes or take out a little bit of blood so that it's not so over the top. And then he gets it for an R-rated. But that's that's his style. That's just what he does. So, but getting back to is this an '80s film? I think Schwarzenegger's films were kind of the A-list of the action films of the '80s. I mean, there were some others. There was Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis had Die Hard and Die Hard Two, but he doesn't. He's not really. He's more of a '90s action. Last Boy stuff. Scout. Yeah. That's 1990s. That's. But what I mean, In the 80s, he's
0: still the, the, the moonlighting
2: guy.
4: Yeah, he's still the moonlighting guy at that right, point right. in time. But, I mean, at this point in time, you you have uh, Steven Seagal kind of coming out, and his first two films are his best two films, and after that, they get trashy. Jean-Claude Van Damme is just starting to break out. Yeah, with,
1: blood, When does Bloodsport come out?
4: I think that's 87, so 86, 87, and so he's had a couple films, but there are... There are a lot of like lesser stars, but Schwarzenegger, I think, is the A-list material. That he seems to be the one who always
1: gets approached first on all these films. Yeah, and it, it definitely, it definitely has that that feel though. The the that 80s 90s action film where there's always a bunch of shootouts, just fast and furious. And this definitely has a has a lot of them. One scene I want to talk about: brothel scene, three tits. <laughs> That's it. This got 3 tits. All right. No, but I I don't, I uh, did very, she make you wish she had three arms? <laughs> she, she uh good makeup ver- artist? Yeah, it was all right. I was very disappointed though cuz it definitely looks like, you know, prosthesis. It's 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 not like two real boobs. I'm sorry. Did you think she No, wanted? no, no. <laughs> By that, I mean, it's not like two real boobs and like one fake boob in the middle. They just went for like three fake boobs. So I can't support that. At least in Starship Troopers. He goes full nudity, co ed shower okay, Drop scenes. your top. We want to see, we want someone with boobs that can
4: spread, <laughs> can out, spread out a little out. bit.
1: This is the early nineties, so plastic surgery isn't as common, so it probably wasn't happening as as much. I mean I would have preferred like
0: some on her you know, near her navel or something. You know, like a dog or a pig. <laughs> <laughs> you know,
1: Mammary's <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's the real happy trail. Sure. <laughs> What uh, your fantasies are <laughs> freaky, Craig. Uh, what did you all think about kind of the mutants and the scenes with, with Quato, which is kind of the absorbed uh
0: <laughs> yeah, that feels. I remember when I first saw it and that, that freaked me out. <clears throat> so yep. looking back now it looks uh you can you can pick it apart. Oh it's not great, it's not it's it's pretty f- pretty
1: effective yeah i, I mean it's, it's 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 gory it's kind of graphic that yeah. and even the the benny's hand and and that some of some of that stuff it mm-hmm. reminded me a bit like the thing is some of that stuff it looked a, a little thing like i guess but you, i mean did you think it looked good it was effective it does it look does it look overly cheesy and overly dated with the the effects
4: yeah, well i thought it was necessary for quato to be a mutant and and even in that form of a mutant but I thought the fact that you had all these mutants, that they're introducing that solely for that plot point and that they didn't really serve any point to them being mutants other than to make Quato, this is how he hides out, is he's actually a second person to this person. And so, that,
3: that's how Quato knows um, the future can read minds because oh, all right. the other uh, mutants can you know yeah. fortune tell and guess your birthday, but right, then right. say you're a Taurus. <laughs> yeah. Like, really? What's that's your not birthday? birthday? Yeah.
4: yeah, One in 12 chance. And apparently they didn't get that. Uh, message or predict the future. I shouldn't go to work today because they're going to shut off the
2: fucking air. <laughs> I thought I thought it was done pretty well most of the time. Some of them it really seemed tacked on, like the face guy. Like, right, know, right, right. The like the piece of meat over his face or whatever. I imagine that started with the joke and went back to well, let's throw something on a guy's face. You know, like like because it was just like <laughs> so, I've got some extra makeup here. Like, you know,
1: like right,
4: yeah. You know. <laughs> Pull a Sancho the wizard's sleeve's
1: face. <laughs> <laughs> so then we come to the ending. So so we talked about the ending. What is the ending, uh, essentially, and how is it left? Is it Dallas? Is it all a dream? Well,
4: um, it was left purposely vague uh, by the director. The director's intent... was intentional. It was intentional that uh, you can either believe that this is a straightforward action film, that he is a spy and has saved the planet of Mars... Or uh you can take the director's point of view, which is that this was all a dream, this is all a recall and because everything that happens in the film is is told to you as the film goes on. When they're about to implant they said, Oh, blue skies on Mars, that's weird. Even the fact that who the girl is, that she's on the screen before he gets implanted and the guy who comes to his hotel room, the the recall representative, tells him exactly
0: what happens the remainder of the film. But, the, you... but they cheat though because they do show us scenes where our protagonist is not present. So how is he having a memory of something when he's not
3: there? Yeah. And there's several of them. It's not. Yeah, when he when the he starts the schizoid embolism, you got the uh, um, the doctor rushing out to the salesperson. Get in here right now. Uh, how's how's he going to see that? You know.
4: Uh, oh, right. I'll, yeah but if you know he's supposedly when he's the if you believe that he's really a person he sees all this Martian equipment and this conversation about what it does when Quato's drawing it out of his memory but he's not present for that he's not there this is just the other people having this conversation so how does he know that information so that I mean th- there's a lot of creative license to it the director says that it's supposed to be a dream and when it whites out in the end is that what he was foretold by the recall guy is that he is getting lobotomized.
0: Richter's reaction when he sees his wife, who he's hoard out, uh, dead. I mean, Quade's not there, or Hauser's not there. I, I, so there there are multiple images and multiple scenes that he cannot experience. Right? It, is, that, yeah. is that... So a- it, it's cheating. So it's not like The Sixth Sense, where... No. when you go back, Bruce Willis is present for right. everything that no. that happens so, it's not as well made as sixth sense that they right. put things in so there they do for him. cheat a little bit which which I think you know if if they had played it where oh you're right going back Arnold is present for all of this he's he at least is within earshot he can hear what's going on or he can see what's going on and everything that we see oh it could be it could be just an implant it could be just a memory
2: i I would agree that that's kind of unfair um but for a dream sequence, I don't think it's totally unfair to say that. the thing I thought was peculiar. Okay. If the if the director actually said this is a dream, is that his his friends and family are suspicious of him before he goes to recall. Which to me, I thought was completely unfair because you know his work buddy is like eyeballing him. <laughs> like, oh,
4: you're gonna go to
2: recall, hey, huh? Recall, hey, like, recall. Might have to put you up against a wall for that, you know. Or and then his wife is kind of <laughs> acting strange too. Like right. don't, don't don't look into this stuff. To me, that was very unfair. If this is really supposed to be a dream, because, you know, if when you guys told me you're going on a cruise, I wouldn't be like, ah, well, I might have to shoot you.
1: <laughs> yeah. My my problem with the ambiguous ending is the type of film that this is, is that it is the cheesy over the top. It's not there. There aren't really it's not telling a, a, a story about humanity or about something real deep that they want you to really get. It's just it's kind of mouth breathing, popcorn eating uh, action film. And, and it works in in. Blade Runner, for example, and it works in some of these other films because there are other messages there and other things you need to think about, about humanity and about all the different things we talk about. Go go, listen to uh, listen to us uh, f***ing masturbate each other on uh, Blade Runner for two hours. That is hours, not so. what we did. Do not go and listen to it for that purpose. You want to hear us talk about Blade Runner, let's go. <laughs> but... Matt and Jason may have done some other podcast recording that I don't know about. <laughs> well, no, we uh, we geek out over Blade Runner and all this stuff, but it, there there's a lot of depth there that is so lacking here, which makes uh, the ambiguous ending to me in this type of film just a cheat. Just ah ha ha, aren't we cute? Well, no, and I agree with you in that. The fact that
4: you use Schwarzenegger, and you know Schwarzenegger is not known for his deep films, and that I think the audience was going to go along for a popcorn ride, and that's all it was to them, and the vast majority of people that the director intended it that way, and I and I think the studio would never have allowed him to do that kind of film, that straight kind of Blade Runner ambiguous ending film with Schwarzenegger, because the audience would not have right. would have wait wait a minute, all this was a dream, and that he just got lobotomized, that would have been. They wouldn't. That would have been too far for them to stretch, and I think he leaves it that way. And he says, "This is what I intended to do." I agree with Greg. He did cheat a little bit. He didn't do it in a sixth sense way where it's just so perfectly done that it causes someone to go rewatch it. You can rewatch this now, and it's, you're not going to pull anything right. different right. other than the fact that. I say at at the end, supposedly him, wide, the whiteout is him getting lobotomized, is just as it was predicted earlier in the film.
1: Yeah, well, and I want to, again juxtapose it with with Blade Runners. You can go back and see a lot of tiny, subtle little things in Blade Runner to say does it mean that or doesn't mean this. You know, is he is he an android or is he a? Uh is he a human, and, and and what's the meaning of this? And they do a really good job throughout that film that justifies repeat viewings for that reason. Whereas this one just doesn't. No, they they are very overt <clears throat> about it. They, I mean, they it's direct
4: lines. They're showing you stuff. They're telling you stuff. It's, you know, if you if you don't put the pieces together, then you're just not paying attention to it. It's not coy. You know?
1: and, and I bring up Blade Runner uh, over over again because not just because it's an ambiguous ending, but because the author of the of the book is the same. And I'm wondering if the film. If that's what he did in this film and it's more overt and it's more, I guess, more well done in the in the book. And I don't know. I don't think anyone here has read that, but um, that that caused me to kind of wonder that if if the, the book does that. Send us a comment. Let us know if you've read the book. <laughs> Comments written. at lunchtimemoviereview.com, yeah. please. Chris, if you're listening, send us a
3: comment. <laughs> oh, wait. I'm getting an email.
1: <laughs> so they are remaking this in 2012. Yeah, with Colin Farrell. And Kate Beckinsale is playing the Sharon Stone Sharon Stone role. So that's... Uh, I like me some Kate
3: Beckinsale. I, uh, you know. Jessica Biel as the uh, uh,
2: Bellina. Is that, your, is that right? Yeah. Just yeah. step yeah, up. Yeah, that's two upgrades. Yeah. Yeah, that, that works. You can see why somebody would actually go to Mars. That was <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's true. yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's an, that's an interesting... Has she been doing
3: anything lately?
2: Uh, Justin,
4: Justin Timberlake.
3: <laughs> she was in 18. That's the last movie I remember her from. Was she in 18? Yeah, yeah. she was the uh, specialist.
1: All right. No, good for them. No, I'm interested to see what they do with it, actually, in, in seeing
0: it. Yeah, the, the, the previews make it look...
1: Better. I just think it's funny that Jessica Biel is
0: considered ethnic for Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know... <laughs>
1: You know, this is kind of like Raquel Welch being well, she's Latina. It, yeah.
0: it no, is no, give me a break.
1: You know, you, you you mentioned that we we can almost find something overtly racist in in every film that we've reviewed so far, and not as much in this one that I can think of. Off, you know, you got Benny who's just kind of plays straight okay. black guy, right? So if, I don't mean straight like you know, all the like people non- live homo. on
4: Mars and are mutants. Just... <laughs> one small, one has three boobs. One guy's got a vagina on his head, <laughs> and she's Latin. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right. Touche. Yeah. I think you could find something that. Just all not towards black people. All these white guys yeah. from Earth. Yeah, I'm going to say not towards black people, except the only black guy was the mutant. Yeah, one, one of the mutants, yeah.
0: I'm glad, though, the future it is what it is. I mean, we're all... We white people are so scared because, you know, the future seems to be we're going to be minorities. I mean, it's there already. And apparently they we're wrong because...
2: I saw, like, three in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and they were all mutants. Th- those white people are using Fuji film. <laughs> so.
1: Well, it'll be interesting to see what they do visually with us, and maybe they flesh out this story, and, and it'll be interesting to see if they, you know, make it an ambiguous ending, and they, they try to flesh that part of it out a little more.
4: I think you probably got a better chance of that
1: with the, the um, update than you are with the Schwarzenegger film. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, let's go around and see uh, whether or not we think Total Recall stands the test of time. <laughs> Greg. I, I remember watching this when it came out, and or shortly after it came
0: out, and uh, other than just the like, like Matt said, the quintessential Arnold Schwarzenegger, the Arnoldness of it, it was a pretty bad movie then. It's a pretty bad movie now. I prefer Conan.
4: Guy's a fucking asshole. <laughs> <laughs> wow.
0: I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, you watch Conan the Destroyer in particular, you can see Arnold mulling over things, you know, like the the mirror scene. I mean that's some serious acting that Arnold's doing there. And and he was on that upswing, you know, and then and then Total Rico was almost like, oh, he's back to Hercules, goes to New York. He like, <laughs> forgot how to act. So yeah, no, does Count- not stand the test of time. Counterpoint Jay.
3: <laughs> wow. Well, I remember watching this when it came out. Um I liked it then and uh I still like it. It's uh it's an entertaining movie. Um it is it it can be you can watch it for different reasons you can watch it as just a, a pure action movie and you can still be entertained or if you can watch it as the, the another movie that uh, by the same director with uh, starship Troopers Robocop as just a dystopian uh, warning of what the future could be looking back on this movie it's the, the future in this movie is almost a very brave New World-esque, how you got a bunch of new toys and gadgets to kind of distract the populace from what's really going on. Don't pay attention to the uh, rebel base up in Mars. Um, you know, play with your Fuji film, watch your big screen TVs, go on your uh, uh, cruises to Saturn. And uh, it's just an interesting take on what the future could bring. Um, and uh, it's just a good all-around movie. I like it. Stands the test of time. Patrick? I worked in the theater when this came out
4: uh, I saw this uh, in a midnight screening. I didn't really know much about it other than the trailer I'd seen a couple times. And I like Schwarzenegger films, but I wouldn't say that I was, uh, was a huge fan of it. I enjoyed it back then. Kind of caught me off guard how much I enjoyed it. I really still like this movie. It's 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 got a lot of flaws. Uh, most Schwarzenegger films do, but it... it, it it appeals to the popcorn eater in me that I just want to watch a film for escapism that it's, it's science fiction. It's got some good action. You know, Schwarzenegger is, is that's what, I, this is a kind of the epitome of what I expect from a Schwarzenegger film. You know, I'm going to have a lot of action, a lot of shooting, uh, a lot of bad quips, but that's just what, that's what they are. And I, I didn't expect anything different from this, but I, I still think it, I enjoy I still enjoy it. I still think it stands the test of time. I'm surprised they're remaking it. I'm surprised they're remaking it with who they're remaking it. And I'm surprised, based off what I've seen so far of it, that how much it looks the same. That I don't think it doesn't look like they're updating much in it. So I'm curious to see what they do in the Colin Farrell version of it.
2: Young Matthew. As uh, as kind of an absurd body count uh, kind of popcorn movie, now saying that I don't really like those kinds of movies, I think it still kind of works in that genre. But I think there's enough there with the, um, as Jay was talking about the kind of dystopian um, warnings. That that's that's enough to keep my interest. So I think it, I think it still works in, in its own absurd kind of way. I'm going to say it uh, it stands the test of time. All right, my response to the three of you. F- you <laughs> a wrong movie.
1: <laughs> Screw you. He says, <laughs> he says that in this movie as well. Does he say "fuck you"? Yeah. I think he does. Yeah. Or another does character he ever does. say doesn't it? a robot say it or something like well, that? Well, I think or... I think Arnold says it to somebody, and I think it's an homage. Yeah, too. It, well, uh, yeah, uh, definitely he always that. does. I'll be back. Does he say that
4: I'll be back in this film?
1: That's actually a good question. He, I don't
4: recall him saying that. No, in he,
1: not in this one. I don't recall it either. So, But I thought he did it in every film. That, oh, that's an interesting... Well, one. I know he really
4: started doing it in the 90s that he made sure there was some sort of variation of it. Oh, can
0: you but, imagine how that goes? Hey, I'm going to do it here. <laughs> no, this be a good
4: time. No, Arnold, <laughs>
1: not here. No,
4: Melina, I have to use the restroom. I'll be back.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I uh I don't like the film. I don't think it stands the test of time. I it I it's probably my least favorite Arnold uh film. Over Raw Deal. Kindergarten cop? Yeah, absolutely. I'll take kindergarten yeah, Cop. Kindergarten cop's okay. Raw deal's yeah. a turd. <laughs> Last action hero. <laughs> oh yeah, that's bad. <laughs> but I, I they, they try to just – these twists and turns and, and the double, triple agent stuff just doesn't work as, as being just a popcorn movie. I think it would have been a lot better to, to play a little more straight, uh, a little more cerebral, and I think it would have worked a little better. Uh, the, the scenery I don't like, but the the twists and turns and, and the ambiguous ending just kills it. it just, I get bogged down, um, especially in the last uh, – about two-thirds, basically, once he gets on Mars. I like it. I actually kind of like it at the beginning when he's running and, and and doing the things through through recall, even then once they get to, to Mars and start all this quato shit, it just, uh, I don't even like the story. So I don't think it stands the test of time, but I am interested to see what they do with it, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check it out when it comes out. So that's Total Recall, our first Arnold film that we've done so far. The second we did Terminator. Did we do Terminator already? Yeah. <laughs>
3: Yeah. That it was, was our first. I remember I remember listening to that podcast, The oh. Terminator. Gosh. We do too many of these damn things. <laughs> and that's second Matt Matt the second time we reviewed Blade Runner. Come <laughs> back next week, Top Gun. Matt had his
1: memory erased no. by recall. No kidding. Yeah, Top Gun <laughs> next week. Go ahead. Woo. All right. Well, check out the webpage at lunch. www.lunchtimemoviereview.com. You can support the podcast by buying anything through our Amazon link. Uh, It doesn't cost you anything, but it does support the podcast. If you'd like to comment about this or any other podcast, send us an email at comments at lunchtimemoviereview.com and keep listening. We're getting out of here right now, and you guys are invited.
2: is intended for entertainment and information purposes only the theme music for lunchtime movie review fireworks is provided courtesy of alexander nakaranda at serpentsoundstudios.com under a creative commons attribution 4.0 license all original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of the mhm podcast network lunchtime movie review and fuzzy bunny slippers entertainment llc unless otherwise noted